Welcome back to Brain and Blaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by epileptics, for epileptics, and our caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, I'll describe the events leading up to the neurosurgery I had in 2017 and what caused me to take that leap. If you're new to Brain and Blaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. Are we recording? Yes, doctor. Okay, just breathe deeply. I'm going to count backwards from 10. Okay, we're going to get Ten. started with Mr. Clifford here. Nine. He's a 42-year-old morbidly obese man. Seven. Did he just call me morbidly obese? Five. Oh, God. Don't let that be the last thing I remember. With that, I went under. But the story doesn't really start there. And then, that morning, I woke up early to drive to the hospital at which I would have a resection surgery. A right anterior lobectomy, actually. The hope was to solve once and for all the intractable seizures that I had since I was a teenager. I wasn't alone. My wife was at home taking care of our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, so I had asked my father to come in from out of town to help me to get to the hospital. We drove the 30 miles or so to the hospital. In complete darkness, we were asked by my medical team to get to the hospital early. My dad suddenly said, Would you stop doing that? I didn't know I was actually doing anything, but I realized that I was rubbing my newly shaved head with my right hand. I had asked my wife to shave my head the night before, though the act wasn't really required. I wanted to get it out of my way. I guess the tiny hairs rubbing against the palm of my hand provided a calming sensation. Though I was in my 40s, I calmly obeyed my dad and placed my hand in my lap like a child. The truth is I wasn't really looking for just a driver. Though I had shaved my head, I was far from resolute in my decision to take the surgery. I've had tonic-clonic seizures on average every month since I was 16 years old. I've gotten used to it. It's something that is part of me. And despite my seizures, I had made a lucrative career in the tech industry using my brain. The idea that a doctor was going to start messing with it was still officially scary. I knew there was only an estimated 60% chance of remaining seizure-free after the surgery. The reception we met at the hospital asked me to digitally sign loads of paperwork. After seeing the first five entries of, quote, in case of death, end quote, I nervously laughed. <laughs> you guys are not giving me much confidence. In a perfect deadpan voice, she looked over her glasses and straight into my eyes and said, Well, you might not be coming back out. Any little confidence I had built up over the last several weeks was obliterated. While I continued to sign, I could hear the printer under her desk spit out pages. The receptionist reached under the desk to grab my set of paperwork. When she came back up for air, she held a stack of paper so tall it rivaled what one would see when buying a house. She gave it over with a smile. I remember slowly walking with my father from the reception to the surgical waiting room, holding the copies with both hands and grumbling under my breath. I still can't believe I'm doing this. My father responded perfectly. David, you don't have an alternative. That one statement pushed me from, let's get out of here, to let's get this over with. I was suddenly psychologically ready to go under the knife. I responded, exciting, let's do this. An hour later, we were still in the surgical waiting area. During that hour, I had plenty of time to think through the events that landed me there. 
The hundreds, if not thousands, of tonic-clonic seizures over the 27 years, a status epilepticus event in 2015 that really rattled my brain, followed by a very embarrassing seizure that was my bottom. The last year and a half with my current team of doctors was spent mostly waiting. Waiting for the next seizure, waiting to take pills, waiting to perform tests, waiting to undergo scans, and waiting to get results. And the waiting was the worst part. While it sounds like a project that a clearasyl-addicted tween would perform on a frog in a middle school biology class, resection brain surgery is actually when a small piece of the patient's brain is removed entirely. And if you think to yourself, wait, that works? You are definitely not alone. Most neurosurgeons will cleverly enlighten patients with the story of Phineas Gage. Phineas is best known as the only man remembered with the name Phineas but also because he was a railroad worker who in the 1800s survived an accident after which a railroad spike or a gigantic steel rod went right through his skull. To qualify for resection surgery, the candidate must have a localized problem in the brain, which usually means that they either experience focal seizures or like in my case, secondary onset generalized seizures. An MRI showed that I had a lesion in the right side of my brain. An extended video EEG showed that the focal activity around the lesion would essentially jump to encompass both halves of my brain. And as it did, I would experience atomic clonic seizure. I would fall to the ground, lose consciousness, often lose control of my bowels or piss my pants, froth of the mouth, convulse, the whole nine yards. Of course I peed my pants! Everybody my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Really? Yes! You ain't cool unless you pee your pants. Surgery is irreversible in nature, and thus, as you would expect, considered only as a last resort. A candidate must have a tractable epilepsy and have tried at least two medications for at least six months. I definitely qualified, as I had tried tens of medications. I even tried CBD and the ketogenic diet. Unfortunately, nothing worked. In fact, the morning of the surgery, I was still coping with the effects of my last tonic-clonic seizure, only three days earlier. Even though my doctors had proved where my seizures originated and how it went through my brain, they were originally hesitant to perform the surgery before I did further functional testing. Why? Well, remember Phineas Gage? Yeah, the guy with the rod through his skull? What neurosurgeons will often fail to describe to their patients is that while Mr. Gage did survive, his family and friends described Phineas's change in mannerisms and personality as belonging to a completely different person. As you may have guessed, it turns out that when you start removing pieces of someone's brain, you don't necessarily know what they're going to miss out on. In my case, the functional testing hinted that in addition to the normal risks of surgery, there was an additional risk that I would lose motor functions in my dominant left hand. Wait, I'm right-handed though. In my youth, I was incessantly interested in learning how to play guitar. Unfortunately, I also noticed that I had little to no dexterity in my left hand. I could have quit or played left-handed like Jimi Hendrix. But what did I do? I convinced myself to write with my left hand through high school. While I quickly built up dexterity, 30 years later, I also confused a lot of doctors. Their worry was that my dominant hand was in fact my left hand and not my right. 
I had to do some convincing to show them that I could write better with my right hand before they would consider me for surgery. David Clifford. I was suddenly jerked back into reality by the voice of the graceful nurse who had just entered the waiting room. The nurse pointed me to my bed. You know, we would have shaved your head here, Mr. Clifford. Uh, it's okay. I wanted to. You wanted to? Yeah. It's the one thing I have control over in this whole process. Okay, then. Soon, a male technician came by with a sharpie. He asked me to point to the right side of my head. And after I did, he used the sharpie to draw an X where I had pointed. He jokingly said, I wouldn't want to perform surgery on the wrong side. <laughs> to his joke, I responded with my own joke. <laughs> I hope not. My father's an attorney, and he would sue you and the doctor and the hospital. <laughs> I'd be rolling in it. This joke went over like yelling fire in a crowded theater. While I was being prepped, I had three different doctors, in different state of panic, come over and verify the X was on the correct side. While we waited, my wife had a chance to visit my father and me in the prep room. She had just dropped off our daughter in daycare, and together we walked through the reasons why we chose to have the surgery. Over the years, I had pushed my body past the limits. It's not the years, it's the mileage. However, since the status epilepticus event a year and a half earlier, in 2015, my quality of life had steadily deteriorated. The right side of my face had started to droop from the pain from continuous migraines. My pinky finger on my left hand had long since gone numb, but the numbness was steadily now moving through the rest of my hand. I was forced to type with two fingers on my left hand, which, for a software engineer, is quite disabling. My seizure intensity and occurrence rate had increased dramatically. For that most of the year and a half working with the doctor, I was having tonic-clonic seizures every day. Additionally, I would often have auras throughout the day. My left leg would droop, and I would lose my balance. Finally, just like Phineas, my friends and family noticed that my brain damage I accrued in the status epilepticus event had actually modified my personality, and I was worried I was losing grasp on who I was entirely. While I felt I literally had no choice to perform the surgery, I didn't have to like it, and I didn't. I can admit it. I was scared. My wife was dead set. She was ready to support me through this whole ordeal all the way. When they laid my Sharpie-laden head on the surgical steel surgery table, all I could think of was the following. If he dies, he dies. Damn straight. There are statistical risks when having a surgery, especially neurosurgery. We all remember what happened to Bill Paxton, right? What I didn't want to happen was for me to come out of the surgery incapacitated. I didn't want to be a burden on my loved ones. I didn't. Hey, did that surgeon just call me morbidly obese? Will David survive the surgery and live to tell his tale? Will he still have seizures after the surgery? Is he still morbidly obese? You'll have to listen to the next episode of the Brain Ablaze Epilepsy Podcast. We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at social at or on Twitter at BrainBlaze. And if you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us providing this five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content.
one small click really does help. See you next time. Thank you.